The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. It is good to see you here today. I know that there are lots of people watching online today, and we're glad you're um, able to be here with us um, too this morning. So I never thought that I would have to say something in front of an entire church body, um, but here it goes. Um, we, pick, we handed out these cards this morning. I hope you pick one up. Um, so we will never send you a text that says, hi, your name. I need you to call me because I'm going into a meeting and I need a favor from you. Um, over the past probably four or five months, um, I've received, our pastors have received texts uh, just, again, over the last four or five months saying, hey, I got this text and it sounds like it's from, um, it's from John and he needs a favor and he wants me to go buy Apple gift cards. Is that something that's real? And the answer to that question is no, it's not real. Um, like we're, we're, that's not how we communicate with you. I would encourage you to look on the back of this card and there are, it has three numbers that we'll actually text you from. So I really want to encourage you to just be mindful of that. Um, and we might think, oh, why would anyone fall for that? Um, that's obviously a scam. Who would, who would give into that? Well, somebody does because they keep doing it. Right, so I just want to really strongly encourage you. If you if you get a text like that, um, like that's not even the texts that have been sent, um, not even aren't even my area code. Um, it's not even my cell phone number. Um, so if you get a text like that, honestly, the best thing you can do is ignore it and delete it. Um, but it is something that that we're aware of and. Truthfully, every time we have to send a communication out to you that says, this isn't from us, like we feel badly about that. And I wish, um, I wish that there weren't people who are trying to scam you of things, um, but that's just the world that we live in. So if you receive a text like that, please just ignore it um, and delete it. If you have your Bible with you or you're following along on version, I would encourage you to open up to um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 today. Um, that's what we're going to be talking about. Last month, at the end of the month, the last Sunday of the month, Zane preached a message called New Year, Same Gospel. And the concept of that was, even though it's a, it's a new year and the calendar changes and we've gone around the sun one more time, um, the gospel itself never changes. And this is the gospel from Galatians 1 verse 4. It says, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. One of the things that I really appreciated about Zane's message, he talked about a couple different things that we ought to do when we're, when we're familiarizing ourselves with the gospel. He said that we ought to uh, savor the gospel. He said we ought to savor the gospel. And then he used the example of, um, like, as a human being, when we, when we eat a steak, we like to savor it. We like to enjoy the taste. We maybe leave it in our mouth and roll it around a little bit so it hits every area of our tongue, and we just really get to savor it. And then he said, but dogs aren't like that. If you drop a piece of meat on the ground, the dog is going to be on it like a flash, right? There's no savoring involved. And that reminded me of this of this thing that happened in our house many, many, many years ago. We were living in Sioux Center, Iowa, and we had this dog. His name was Dodger, and he was a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. And Anne one time had cooked this roast. She takes it out of the oven. She put it on the counter, turned, turned away for a second, and like in a second, our dog, Dodger, was 120 pounds, huge dog, jumped up on the counter, and in one bite, ate the entire roast. Like, just out of the oven. Like, it was probably 300, 300 degrees, right? And it, like, right, like, she turned, and she heard something and turned around, and, like, the roast was gone. Oh, he took it. He didn't just eat. Okay, my wife. He didn't just gulp it down, but he took it away. It was just, like, that fast, right? It's like, well, I guess we're not having roast tonight. You know, the do dogs don't savor things, and what we're called to do as as believers, we're called to savor the gospel. We're called to think about it. And last week, as I was driving to the office, one of the things that I do 
um, to and from work is I, I have this app on my phone. It's called the Dwell app, and it just reads the Bible to me. I'm deep in Proverbs, and this, um, this proverb popped up. It's Proverbs, thir- it's Proverbs 13, 7, and it says this, one pretends to be rich. This is the ESV. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Will you just savor that for a second? Just let that text kind of, kind of sink in. Savor it. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pre- pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. I love that. I love that verse so much. And I just, when I was driving, I, I pressed pause um, and because I'm a, I'm a visual learner, too, and I do this while I'm driving, like I have the text scrolling on my phone so I can hear it and I can kind of glance at it. And it just that's such an amazing text. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. One pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. I did some looking um, this week. According to most recent data, the the gross domestic product of the United States in 2022 was $22.5 trillion. So if we were to, like the gross domestic product, like that's the... That's the earnings of the entire nation, like how much, how much money as a nation we, um, we make, right? So 2022, the, the gross domestic product, the, the total outcome of our economy was $22.5 trillion. So then I looked at the other number. I wondered, what was our, what's our national debt? Our national debt for the same year was $31 trillion. So let that sink in for a second. The economic output of our country is $22.5 trillion, and our debt is $31 trillion. Now that's a, like that trillion, that's a number that we can't even imagine. We, we, we don't even know what to do with it, which I think is part of the problem. It's such a large number. Um, That's 119%. So our national debt is 119% of what what our economic output is. And here's what what this means. Anything that we do at this point for, for some sort of fiscal policy as a country, essentially we are rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Like we're so far underwater when it comes to this debt, like uh, there's nothing we are going to be able to do to right that ship. And I think our country is a living embodiment of a proverb. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Think about that as a country. We pretend to be wealthy. We pretend to be rich. And reality is because we're $9 trillion in the hole. We really have nothing. And I think that many Christians um, probably in this room, we're in the same spot. We're in the same spot financially. And I think a big reason for that is what we talked about last week. We're like the church in Corinth. We, we don't really understand the gospel. The things that we are investing in, the ways that we are um, understanding our finances are more, are more American than Christian. That's our focus. That's the way we think about finances. It's informed more by our country than it is what the Bible has to say. Last week, we talked about Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, and I'm just going to read this. This is kind of the theme, theme text for our series. I know I said go to Matthew, but our main theme for this series is this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, here's reality. There are lots of customs and behaviors of this world when it comes to money. It's my money and I need it now. 
right? That's a custom and behavior of our world. And I'm not going to sing it right. Cody sang it perfectly last week, but it's like 877 cash now, right? Like we have that thing in our mind and that was way wrong. I know it was wrong. That's why I don't sing. That's why it's a joyful noise, not a beautiful noise. That's a custom and behavior of this world. It's my money and I need it now. Another custom and behavior of this world when it comes to money is, is we buy things that we cannot afford to fill the gaps in our lives or for the affirmation or approval of people that we don't know and we may not even like. See, a behavior and a custom of this world is to buy things, to find, to find affirmation and receive approval from people that we don't even know or we might not even like. That's a behavior and custom of this world when it comes to money. A behavior and custom of this world is when our nation hits our debt ceiling, we do something really crazy. We raise the debt ceiling. Like $31 trillion, that's not enough. So let's, let's increase it. And then what happens for us is when, we, when, when our debt hits our ceiling, what do we do? We fill the next credit card, right? Because we've maxed out one card, we fill the next credit card. Or we do the worst possible thing that you can do. Like you see those commercials now where like somebody's car breaks down and the first thing they have to do is I'm going to the, I'm gonna go to the fast cash place. I'm going to pay 35% interest. And Ann and I, we have this little thing like as soon as the commercial starts and the guy starts talking about, oh, I'm just going to go to this place. One of us will say, and I'm going to ruin the rest of my life. Right? That, like, this is, this is a behavior and a custom of our world. And we've all made good financial decisions and good financial choices. And, and it's safe to say that we probably all made bad financial choices and decisions in our lives. But these, these bad ones, they're really, they're really more informed, their behaviors and customs of this world. And what God is, is telling us to do is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And talking about finances is, is always kind of a tough topic. Well, we think it's a tough topic. We've made it a tough topic. And I think part of it is, is, is because we've, we've allowed God to transform so, so many different aspects of our lives. But for some reason, when it comes to, when it comes to our finances, we, like we built a wall around this. Like there's something different about our, our money. It's my money. I need it now. We, we tend to look at finances differently than we look at lots of other things in our lives. And I want you to know that today, this isn't just about you giving money to Westway. As I've been thinking about and, and praying about this message for the past, well, for the past several weeks, like it would be easy just to talk about this within the context of you, we want you to give more to the body. And, you know, part of it is that is one way that we give. That is one way that we are generous. Being a part of a church body means that, that we do engage in generosity and in giving with our church body. And we do ask you to be generous. We talk about it every single week. So if you're someone that's like, man, we talk about money every time I come to church. Yeah, we talk about it every week. It's, it's reality. Money is one of the things that Jesus talks about more than any other thing in the Gospels. And he doesn't talk about it because God wants our money. And this ought to relieve us in one sense to hear that God doesn't want our money. But what God wants is your heart. And that ought to create more tension for you than just God wants your money. Knowing that God doesn't just want your money, God wants your heart. He doesn't just want a percent of your money. He wants all of your heart. He wants the totality of your heart. And one of the ways that God is going to get your heart is through generous giving. That's the way he's going to access what's going on in your life. And if, if that's going to happen, if we are to give God our hearts fully, then we need to allow God to transform us by changing the way we think about money. Like that's the Romans 12 text. 
allow God to transform you by changing the way you think. So we have this behavior and this custom of the world that we take our cues from and how we utilize the money and the finances that we have. And because that behavior and that custom is so skewed by the world, we need something different. And what that means is it's probably going to challenge us. We talked about this last week. There are probably going to be things that the Bible has to say to us about money that we're not going to like. And as we talked last week, when we read the Bible, that, that's by design. It's meant, to, it's meant to lay us open. The text tells us it's sharper than any double-edged sword in it. And it gets through, cuts through bone and marrow to the reality of who we are. So I want to, I want to encourage you this morning that as, as we talk about the text that's going to be our main focus, which is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, don't, when you get offended, I want to encourage you to, to check your heart for a moment. I want to encourage you to, to ask God, God, what, what do you have for me in this? How are you trying to transform me? Let's, um, let's pray about that right now. God, I pray that you would reveal to us the sins that we are to repent of. And I pray that, and I ask that you would give us the desire to allow transformation through changing the way that we think. And it's in your son's name that we ask these things. Amen. The reason we're talking about Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24, is because it perfectly lays out an opposing viewpoint of, of money. This is how the world thinks about money. This is how God thinks about money. This is the transformation that's necessary. So this is the, um, this is the first few verses of that. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. So if you're wondering, like, what are the behaviors and the customs of the world about money, uh, this perfectly describes it. We store up things for ourselves, and then we try in vain to protect what we know will not last. We store up things for ourselves, and we try in vain to protect what we know will not last. We hide it away, we tuck it away, we put it away, because we want to make sure that, that nothing gets at the thing that is the most valuable to us. It's a way of the world, it's a behavior and the custom of the world. And if we weren't so concerned about it, we wouldn't hide it, right? We wouldn't be so worried that mods were going to steal it or rust was going to destroy it. This is a custom of the world, to take what we have and to store it up for ourselves, to put it away, to be so concerned about what's going to happen to us, to it. And this is a sin that, that we need to repent of because God desires to transform us. So as we think about the, the, the things that, that we have that have value, we have to ask a question, what are we doing with those things? What are we saving them for? Like we save it for a rainy day. This isn't a knock on savings. This isn't a knock on being wise financial stewards in any way. What this is doing is, is attacking a deeper layer of what's happening inside of us, this attacks our motivations that we need, to, we need to hide and we need to store and we need to put away. We need to be concerned because, because there's a limited quantity of this. This is something that we have to be aware of because God's trying to transform us. And his how is in the very next verse. He says, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. See, what God is calling us to do here is he's calling us to invest in what really matters. God is calling us to invest in what really matters and what really matters is other people. What really matters is relationships. What really matters is the body of Christ. What really matters is spending our time, efforts, and energies on those kinds of things that actually make a difference. We want to expand, expend our, our treasures and our talents in the ways that bring an eternal reward. 
We want to do something that's going to last. And when we were to keep, if we were to keep reading through the Proverbs, we're going we're gonna to hear things like, someone else is going to spend your money. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but someone else is going to spend your money. And my guess is they're going to spend it in ways you would not want your money spent. At some point, that's gone. So we have to ask, our, like, ask the question, what are, we, what are we investing in? What are we spending our time on? Are we spending it on time, things that are going to last? Or are we going to spend it in ways that someone else is just going to blow? And the answer to that question, if your treasure is money, is yes. Someone else is going to blow your money. So what are we spending our time and treasure on? And when we ask the question, well, how, how can we know if what we're investing in is the right thing? I think we have to recognize that God knows. As we spend money, as we save money, as we utilize resources, God knows. J- Jesus continues, he says, whatever your treasure is there, your, there the desires of your heart will be. This is such a challenging text for us. Whatever, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. So think about the thing that you spend your time, effort, and energy on. Think about the treasure that that is. That's revealing something about our hearts. What Jesus is saying is, if you want to know what's going on inside of you, what I'm going to do, Christian, is I'm going to look at how you spend your money. That's how I'm going to determine the status of your heart. This is what the text says to us. Am I spending my money, my money, my money? I need it now. Am I spending my money on things that have an eternal significance or a temporary significance? And this isn't just about what we spend our money on, but it's on why we do it. Because God knows our motivation. When we, when we give, when we give generously, God knows our motivation. He knows why we're giving. He knows whether we're giving. He knows how we're giving. He knows what's generous and what's not generous. And one of the things that we want to realize here is, is generosity is not an amount. Generosity is not an amount. Because some people can be, will be generous by giving very little in comparison to what, to what they earn. And there are other people who can give a lot in comparison to what they earn and it's not generous. Because it's not something that actually impacts the rest of their lives as it, as it relates to their financial status. This is about giving generously. This is about having a real understanding of, because of, uh, we're talking about finances here. And again, we're not just talking about giving to the church. But this is about really having an understanding of like, what, what is my income and what does generosity look like? How is my giving in relation to my generosity? What's my motivation for giving in relation to what I have financially? And the question again, like we got to ask is, well, where's, where's your treasure? What's the thing? If, if God were to see your checkbook, and he does. If God were to see your banking statement, and he does. What conclusions would God draw about your treasure? What's the most important thing according to your bank account? This is what Jesus is saying here. The status of your treasure is a clear indicator of what's going on in your heart. In verses 22 and 23, we talked about this quite a bit in staff meeting. It says this, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. See, the behaviors and the customs of this world 
They keep our eyes focused on the darkness of fleeting pleasures, get-rich-quick schemes, and instant gratification. These are the things that the behaviors and the, like these are the behaviors and customs of our world. Look at things that are like, what are the, what's the latest get rich quick scheme? I don't think I'm the only one, but in, when 2020 was taking place, um, like me more than Anne, I'm not going to throw her under the bus with me. Like we went a little cryptocurrency crazy, I'm not going to lie. Like, we, were, we had these apps on our phone about, about cryptocurrency. I couldn't even te- really tell you how that works. So that's like an even worse reason to invest in cryptocurrency. And it was like, we, we got some stuff free, but then other things, it was like, oh, yeah, this, this one's going up today, so I'm going to get $20 worth of this, and I'm going to buy $50 worth of that. It's like this get-rich-quick scheme, and it didn't work. When I look at what my, um, what my coin, and I know I'm like speaking a completely different language that again, I don't even understand. Like when I look at my balances of cryptocurrency, I'm like, wow, I just, I just threw that away. It's a get rich quick scheme. And what the world wants us to do is to fall into this trap of investing in money in ways that we have no idea how it actually works. In any other realm, we would say, that's a bad investment. That's a bad thing for us to do. And what this mindset of quick rich schemes and instant gratification, it goes out to the rest of our lives and it makes every other aspect of our lives unhealthy. Because what we think is we get something for nothing. And that's, again, like that's the way of the world. It's not the way God's kingdom works. We don't get something for nothing. We get grace. We get salvation because of who Jesus is. But when it comes to our investing in God's kingdom, it's going to require something of us. It's going to require generosity of us. See, God wants us to do something different because God is after something different. Rather than keeping eyes of darkness focused on worldly things, Philippians 4.8 says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So when we're wondering, like when it comes to our finances, what should I, what should I be focused on? What should I be looking at? What's these things? What's true? What's honorable? Hebrews 12, 2, we talked about this in August of last year, tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus. Why do we want to keep our eyes on Jesus? Why, why all of this talk about eyes? It was, this was our conversation in the staff meeting last week. Why all of this talk about our eyes? And it's really simple because where our eyes go, our bodies go. You ever notice that? Where our eyes go, our bodies go. I see this almost every single morning when I'm out on my morning run. Where people's eyes go, their bodies go. And you know, when their bodies go somewhere, their cars go somewhere too. I can tell you with about a 99% accuracy, and it's usually like I'm running up Old Oregon Trail Road up the Five Rocks Road. And with about a 95% accuracy, I can tell which car is going to swerve towards me while I'm running. Right? And I'm running against traffic because that's what you're supposed to do. So you can see the car before it kills you, I guess. So like I'm running up the hill and with, one, with 99% accuracy, I know what cars are going to swerve at me. And it's like this. The first thing I do, like they're driving, I see their eyes turn to me. Because they see me on the side of the road. And like you would think, then what they should do is then turn this way, right? Away from me. But boy, they don't. I see their eyes, their eyes look, and then I see their head turn, and that's when I know. Start to turn towards me. And like that's when I just kind of casually step over further off into the side of the road. See where... Where our eyes go, 
our bodies go. What we look at orients our entire bodies. And what this text is telling us is is in relation to our finances. When we are so laser-focused on treasures of this world, when we are so laser-focused on storing up treasures in this world, like that's just where the rest of our bodies go. It's natural. It's a behavior and custom of this world. What God is desiring to do in our lives is to allow him to transform us. And this requires effort because I too, like I don't just run everywhere, I drive a car too. So when I'm driving and I see someone on the side of the road, cyclist, runner, walker, like I have to really pay extra close attention because what, my, what I want to do is I want to steer this way because where my eyes go, that's where the rest of my body goes. And what I have to do is I have to, I have to fight that. Like I want to go actually the other way. And as we think about what this looks like in our lives in relation to our treasure, is we got to recognize that there's a, there's a behavior and a custom, there's a bent that we have. And the only way to fight that bent is to fight the bent. Is to recognize that what I want to do is I want to store up treasures. This is what I want to do. I want to hoard. I don't want to be generous. So I have to intentionally do something that forces me to do something else. And I think that thing is, is giving, honestly. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. Here's the last text from Matthew 6 that we're going to look at this morning. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. What you should know is this is not a dare. I know that sometimes we go into this place like where we think we can do both. We, we can store. We can gather. We can collect. But what Jesus is saying here is you can't serve God and money. Either you will hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. There aren't two masters. You can't have two masters Each and every one of us has to decide what what we're going to do with the treasures that we have, with the gifts that we've been given in our lives. Like, how are we going to expend the treasure that we have? What are we going to do with it? And as I said earlier, God God doesn't want your money. You're probably aware of this, but he created the entire universe by speaking into existence. God doesn't, frankly, need your money. If God can do that, God doesn't need your money. What he wants is our partnership in what he is doing. What he wants is to transform us as it relates to money. What God wants to do is partner with us and have us partner with him in bringing about the kingdom. And the world that we live in, the kingdom of this world, as we've been kind of saying, like it kind of runs on money. So what that means is we want to use the things that God has given us in ways that bring him honor and bring him glory. We want to invest in things that really matter. So last week I talked about the importance of of the gathering when it came to being involved at Marysville Christian Church when we went there in 1995. And a couple years into being at Marysville Christian Church through going to church on Sunday mornings and hearing the gospel shared and being in small group and every single week 
like we do here. There was an opportunity to give. There was an opportunity to be generous. Um, a few years in, we kind of realized something about our, about our participation at Marysville Christian Church. And the thing that we realized was we were total consumers of what was happening in the church. We were consumers. Um, we took advantage of the generosity of others in the way that we brought our kids to church on Sunday mornings and let other people make disciples of them. Um, we were consumers because the church was, was buying things like kids' curriculum that we weren't contributing to. We were consumers in the fact that we came to church on Sunday mornings and there were people who were making disciples of us. And there were things like, Zane made a great post on Facebook yesterday um, about the importance of giving uh, in your church because that's what keeps the power on. Like anybody thankful for heat this morning? Like as... As we were involved and engaged, watching, really, at Marysville Christian Church, what we found was we were, we were just consumers of someone else's generosity. And that really, at some point, that kind of started bugging, bugging us, bugging me. And so we, we started to give, we started to be... Uh, well, I'll just say we started to give. I'm not going to use the word generously. I will say we started to give. And some of that looked like, I, so I worked at Best Buy during this time when we were at Marysville Christian Church. And there were times where, like, our student ministry needed a, needed a CD player. So what I would do, because I worked at Best Buy and had a super sweet employee discount, is I would buy a CD player and I would donate it to the church, Right? There was an electronic, there was a TV, like, like, like that was a little bit of the way that we, that we gave. And the reality of it, though, as I reflect back on that, is my motives weren't pure. See, what I found that I was doing was I was giving out of a desire for affirmation. What I found, what I was doing in, in, in those types of gifts were I was receiving affirmation and approval from other people. So because it made me feel good, because someone would say something to me, like that's why I was giving. Uh, I also found myself in my mind uh, giving because I, I had missed a bunch of years. Like we've kind of shared our, I've shared our story before of not being, not being Christians, not being involved and engaged in a church. So for me, like giving in those ways was sort of, sort of a way to make up for the fact that I had been a lousy Christian or not a Christian for several years. In some ways I was giving to make up for something. Some ways I was giving to try and make up for my own sinfulness and my own brokenness. And then this was, I want to say, probably 98. We, so we had been in Marysville for, for three years. The church wanted to, they wanted to pave their parking lot. And then they wanted to buy, they wanted to buy a van for the student ministry. And we got, the elders came out and visited everyone, everyone who was a part of the church, and they, and they brought along some giving statistics, and it wasn't, it wasn't personal, like, for us, like, hey, this is how much you guys are giving, but there were just some, just some very general giving statistics about the church, and, and that church was, that church talked a lot about tithing, and I don't know how you feel about tithing or not, but that church talked a lot about tithing. And they kind of broke down like what the giving was and they did all sorts of math that you do when you're not a Bible college graduate. It's like real math, not Bible college graduate math. And they talked about the way that um, they kind of did the math to figure out what the percentage was. And what they said was, what we're kind of figuring like, let's, let's pretend that what people were giving was the tithe, was 10%. What that means is, 
based on what we're receiving as a church, what that means is 80% of our church body is living below the poverty line. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, we're not. Like, we're not living below the poverty line. And that was a real wake-up call in us thinking about how much we were or weren't giving. So one of the things that kind of came out of that was we actually figured out like what we were giving in relation to our income. And again, like you as a church, we don't have a stance on tithing or not tithing. So I'm not going to sit here and say Westway believes you should at least give 10%. I'm not going to say Westway believes that you should tithe. If you want to know my opinion, I don't have my Bible. Okay, I'm going to put it over there. If you want to know my opinion, I think you ought to tithe. I do. But what God wants us to do is be generous. And what we recognized in the face of that is we were not being generous. We were consumers of ministry. And that conversation with those elders and, and, and the change that began to happen in the way that we looked at our, our lives completely changed our lives. What we found is that gr- generous giving is one of the greatest joys of our lives. It's transformed us in so many ways. And as I was thinking about that, I, um, I have a few. When we give generously, it means we literally don't have the money to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know. See, when we give generously, that frees us from the bondage of buying things to impress people we don't know. Isn't that wonderful? Like, I just don't have to worry about how someone is going to be impressed by the things I purchase, by the things that I own. This frees me from falling into this trap of keeping up with the Joneses. No offense, Dustin and Becky. Not literally the Joneses. But this frees us from that. When we give generously, it orients the rest of our finances around what we actually need and what we can actually afford. Back in the day, when we were making this transition at Marysville Christian Church, one of the things that we did is when we, would get, when we would get our paycheck, like that would be the first check we would write would be to Marysville Christian Church. And then we would set that aside. And because we didn't have electronic giving yet, Sunday would roll around and we'd be like, man, I wrote this check, but I'm not sure if I can put it in the box. Because like four or five days would have gone between there, Right. Did you know that with, with online giving, you can give in like the millisecond you are paid by your job. Did you, did you know that you can give right away? And that just like every other thing that you spend your money on, like that money's just gone. And then you know what you really have. And that was such a gift um, for us to, to figure that out, that, that when we gave generously, it oriented the rest of our finances around what we actually need and what we could afford. We learned that when we give generously, we learn that we're sowing into something that has an eternal purpose. We see disciples made and people growing in their relationship with Christ, and we have a part in that. I know we talk a lot about serving here. That's next Sunday. Giving generously is one of those things that we can all do. That we can look at and as we see discipleship taking place within the church, we, we know that we have a part in that. Again, like when we first started going to Marysville Christian Church and we're sending our kids to children's ministry, like we were living off of the generosity of others. And here's reality. There are people who are coming into our church body who are, who are not Christians, who are not mature Christians, our Wednesday night, Wednesdays at Westway, peace between children and student ministry reaches many children and students who are not followers of Christ. And when you give, like, they're benefiting off of your generosity. If you're giving, 
if you're giving generously. This is what it looks like for us to make disciples. When we give generously, it indicates our trust in God's goodness and faithfulness. When we give generously, it indicates our trust in God's goodness and in his faithfulness. And when we would write that check and four days would pass, it's like, I'm not sure if I could put this in the offering plate, but I'm going to. Because I need to trust in God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And I'm pretty sure we never bounce the check to Marysville Christian Church. When we give generously, it indicates that we trust in the work that God is accomplishing through our church. When we gave to Marysville Christian Church, when we gave to Lamar's Church of Christ, when we gave to Eastview Christian Church, when we gave to Naperville Christian Church, when we gave to Worthington Church of Christ, and when we give to Westway Christian Church, we are indicating that we trust in the work that God is accomplishing within the church. We're giving up our right to dictate We're giving up our right to control what happens with our money. And we're trusting that the church is fulfilling its mission and purpose. When we give generously, it indicates a recognition of God's generosity towards us. See, because God has been so richly generous towards us by giving us his son so that we might be saved. That was a generous act. And when we generously give, we are understanding, we are recognizing that God was generous towards us. And what we want to do is we want to extend that generosity. We want to do it freely. We want to do it willingly. We want to do it sacrificially. Each one of those things is just the way that God gave us his son, Jesus Jim and Joe said this. I put their two sentences together. He said, they said, we give as God would give, pressed down and running over. We give as God would give, pressed down and running over. Our giving is not without cost. And then lastly, as we give generously, it leads to our transformation because as Megan Tofflemeyer said last week in our, in our Tuesday small group, we are blessed to bless. We're blessed to bless. We live regardless of what our national debt says. We live in the most prosperous nation in the history of the world. And I get it's a sinking ship. And I'm not sure that that $9.5 trillion deficit really has impacted and affected my life, which also says a lot about money. But we have such prosperity in this nation. We have such prosperity in what we have. And what we are called to do is to bless others because we have been blessed. The things that we have, we are not to hold on tightly to. And this manifests itself in In lots of ways. There are people in our church body who open their homes every single week for a small group. That's what it means to to be blessed to bless. There are people who I know meet the needs of others within our body. That's what it means to be blessed to bless others. This is what this looks like for us. Is we have been blessed to bless And because our treasure is an indication of our heart, then being a generous giver matters. And each and every week here at Westway Christian Church, we invite you to give generously to the ministry and the mission of Westway Christian Church. We want you to know that every dollar that's given here to Westway Christian Church is is a ministry dollar spent. It's utilized towards ministry. That's how we... I'm going to go on the easy ones. That's how we afford curriculum for our children's ministry. It's how we afford technology to be able to broadcast live on a day like today. It's what keeps the furnace running. It's what keeps 
the lights on. It's what leads to having an environment where people want to come and be a part of and, and feel welcomed and feel like they can be engaged in what takes place. It's what feeds our children and students and adult small groups on Wednesday nights. That's your, like, that's your generosity that does that. And what I want to encourage you in is don't, don't just be a person who takes advantage of everyone else's generosity. Don't just be a person who, who sits idly by while everyone else contributes. My hope is that you are giving generously, not out of a need of affirmation or approval, but you're giving generously because God's been generous to you. Out of an overflow of your heart. A few things that you need to know about giving at Westway. Um, last year, 2023, um, we finished in the black for the year. So what that means is, is we, we're not the United States government. Um, at least for 2023, we were not the United States government. We actually received more in income than what we spent. And we are excited about that. That's a, that's a response, like that's generous giving. This isn't in my notes, but we're, you know, we're going to pay off the mortgage to this place this year. We're going to pay off our mortgage this year. And here's, and here's the thing, just because we pay our mortgage off doesn't mean our generous, our generous giving is over. Because one of the things that we've seen, especially over the last year and a half, specifically on Wednesday nights, is the kitchen that we have is mostly wonderful for funerals and the occasional potluck. But when it comes time for being used every single Wednesday night to feed 130 to 150 people, we are riding that kitchen like it's a rented mule. Like we are working that thing hard and we're starting to become aware of, our, of, of the deficiencies in the kitchen. And, and you may not know this, but our, that Wednesdays at Westway ministry, when we just think about people, when we just think about head count, right now, this year compared to last year, we're operating at about 135% of what people we had last year. So that's a grown ministry, 135%. And that's something to be excited about because that's people who are being made into disciples. And what's happening in our kitchen team and our food team is so critical to that. So one of the things, like as soon as we get that mortgage done, we're talking about what's next for the kitchen. We invite people to participate in that. Part of finishing the year as strongly as we did was last year, um, our church gave, for the missions that we support, we gave $84,000 to the external missions that we support. That's, that's above like what, what normally happens. It's above paying our, like our regular ministry costs and, and all the things here, $84,000. On Christmas Eve, you donated um, just under $2,000 and brought in diapers and wipes for the diaper depot. And that's not even a mission of our church. See, this is crazy. You, you love Jesus so much that it's not just about Westway. It's about the kingdom. You're giving and we just encourage that. And we say this all the time. If this is your first time here today, um, I don't want you to feel any obligation to give. We're glad you're here. You're invited to give, but I don't want you to feel any obligation. And if you're a person for whom, like, Westway is your home church, um, I actually don't want you to give out of obligation or compulsion either. But I do want you to consider the question, if this is your, if this is your home church, if this is the body that is equipping you and discipling you and equipping and discipling others, I have a, like, why wouldn't you participate in that? That's what it means to be involved and engaged in the church. And you can do that. The easy way is there's, there are boxes in the back between the doors. We also have those codes that you can scan on your phone in front of you. It's really easy to give. Again, I wish that 
Man, if we would have had online giving years ago, I would have loved that. And what, what I want to do today is just close our time. We're going to put three questions up on the screen. And we're just going to give you a few minutes to respond to these questions. Um, the first one is, how can I offer my finances as a living sacrifice to God? The second question is, how can I ensure my heart is focused on eternal treasures rather than temporary wealth? And then the third one is, what commitment can I make today to be a generous giver? And that's not just here at Westway, although I am asking you and inviting you to give here at Westway. The real thing that I never, ever thought I would actually say and ask from the front is this. If you've never given to Westway, I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you right now to scan that QR code, follow the prompts, and just set up a recurring gift. And, it, and like whatever that dollar amount would be, I would invite you and ask you to just do that thing and do it, like do it now. And be a part of of the way that God is utilizing finances here and making disciples of other people. So I would just challenge you to think about these questions and reflect on them. Um, and then I'll be back up to pray. bow your heads with me. God, I pray that we would seek to understand the behaviors and customs of this world and see how faulty they are. Especially as it relates to finances. us to see that the behaviors and customs of this world are, are a dead end. Help us to see that they're not ultimately fulfilling. They don't provide all of the things that we need. 
and what does is your son, Jesus. Help us to recognize the generosity that you have demonstrated for us through giving us the person of Jesus. Help us to desire to be a part of it. I ask that you would that you would break our will I ask that you would give us the desire to be transformed by the renewing of our minds by changing the way that we think that we would see that our ultimate fulfillment and joy comes in you I ask that we would see that our treasure reveals our hearts. So God, please help us to treasure you above all things. And it's in your son's name I pray.